Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Hey, Corinne. Hey, Dom. So just recently you spoke at our annual conference, which was fantastic. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And um, at that, you talked on high-performing teams, and it was coupled with a white paper that you've recently written called Working on We. Yep. And so I guess the question, first question for me is, there's a lot of talk about teams. It feels like it's been increasing. Why is that? What's going on? Is there a new, is there a trend out there about a focus on teams? Yes, I think there is. I think more broadly, teams always been of interest and effective teaming has been of interest. But I think the pace of change in the world is so fast and so exponential that the only way, well, one of the best ways to get across that kind of change quickly is to have uh, high-performing teams and teams that work really well together. There's been a really strong focus on agile teams, so that's been a really popular framework in terms of getting people to work together collaboratively to get a great outcome. So I think Partly there's an increased focus. There's always been a strong focus, but more and more the world requires organisations to operate in teams and for the teams to operate seamlessly across the organisation. So I think that's a bit of the backdrop as to why there's an increased focus. Yeah, I've seen you talk about agile teams. There's a lot of talk of teams of teams and all this stuff about teams. It seems to be getting really a lot of exposure and a lot of popularity. I mean, I guess we've always been in teams yeah, yeah, for a long time, but do you think it's, you know, is there something happening particularly at the moment? I think what's happening is that once upon a time in an organisation, you could probably have a whole <coughs> string of things be delivered by individual <coughs> leaders and it was possible to have things delivered into de- independently. Mm. Whereas I think now it's very difficult in this time of digital connection and 24-7 hours of work Mm -hmm. at a global scale to get anything done, you know, by a heroic individual. I, I think that there's just too much going on for that to be a feasible way of achieving things. Right. So it's just really the scale and the pace of things today just means that it's just not practical, not possible. Correct. I think so. And I think the other force probably for it is, so I think it's about pace. I think it's about volume, mm. um, getting through volume. But I also think it's about innovation. People have realized that innovation is actually an outcome of great collaboration. Mm. And so for that reason, you know, processes like design thinking. Yeah have started to bring people together. So I think there have been some advancements in how we think and how we organise ourselves to get things done, agile, teaming, design thinking, that increasingly leverage collective intelligence Mm -hmm. and people starting to see that in order to cope with, an organisation seeing in order to cope with pace and speed and, you know, 24-7 world that constantly does business around the globe, that we need a more effective way of working together. Yeah, got you. So what's your kind of verdict on businesses today? How well are they performing in this team space? Are they building effective teams? Gosh, it's a big question, Dom. What's my verdict? I think for all the the work that has been done over decades, I still don't think we're doing it 
that well. Mm-hmm. I know that the research in the leadership space would say that only 20% of teams, some of the research that I've seen, 20% of teams are, would be seen as high performing. Yeah, right. And I think that there's a couple of reasons for that. I think with the clients that we work with, we know that when there's a single focus, that teams work really well because there's a, and often I get a lot of organizations say to me, we're really good in a crisis. Yes. You know, so any organization is really good in a crisis. What happens in a crisis, you get a really clear goal. Mm. There is no ambiguity about what needs to be delivered and by when. And everybody tends to be crystal clear on their role in achieving that end goal. So I think a crisis enables teams to coalesce very quickly and tightly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. around what needs to be done. And and I think because a crisis tends to lift the com- you know compelling purpose, people get less precious about who does what, mm-hmm. and so it just needs to get done. Correct. There's not as much room for ego, and so I think that happens. So on the whole, I think that there are moments in every organisation's life where you've at any one time you've got some teams that are performing really well. Or you get a context change and there's a crisis and everybody pulls together. Mm. And then what seems to happen when the crisis is finished, people seem to lose that connection and start some of the issues occur. I think one of the reasons, though, is that on the one hand, we we label everything a team and we think that all types of work are going to be suited to a team. So while I think there's an increased focus on team, I think there's a bit too much indiscriminate use of that idea. So there's some work that doesn't lend itself to mm. being a team. So, for example, if you've got something that's really proceduralized or, or quite simple, I don't know that you're going to need a team to do it, you know, mm. but we, we work with some organisations where they've tried to make a group of individuals into a team when their work actually doesn't bring them together. There is no common goal. There might be a shared purpose because they're part of an overall function, but they don't need each other in order to get mm. deliver the goal. It's particularly in those teams where people have quite different responsibilities. Correct. Quite different responsibilities, right? So, you know, it's a broad label that puts yeah. us together. May we report to the same manager or something like Correct. that. Correct. But really we're doing different stuff. So if I couldn't necessarily help that person anyway, even if, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe on some things, right? Yeah. But there's not that crossover of kind of work, handing off work to each other it doesn't really exactly. exist. So I think one of the things that I, I uh, wanted to do in this paper and, you know, with our team we've been discussing is make a distinction between a group and mm. a team. So in the paper we talk about being a real team and that is a reference, a nod to that distinction. So right. there are some some groups that have individuals that perform a particular task mm. and the only thing that kind of unites them is that they're all reporting to the same manager mm. or they all sit in the same division. Mm-hmm. 
And sometimes a dead giveaway of that will be that the title of the division is quite long and it has right. sort of three or four functional names <laughs> it in it. incorporates everything. Yeah. And, you know, that's a genuine attempt by the organisation to try and bring some cohesiveness to mm. the division. Mm. And so I think that's, that's fair enough. Sometimes it doesn't help, though, because if what you've got is an actual group of individuals that happen to be located in the same division but their work doesn't bring them together... It can be very frustrating to try and operate as a team because the discussions, the problem solving, the decision making often doesn't seem relevant to what we're doing. So I think we talk about a group of individuals versus a team. And the other way that we reference that is to talk about a team of champions versus a champion team. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that. Yeah, the difference is really about the level of interdependence. So if you can imagine a, a spectrum and at one end you've got group or a team of champions, the other end you've got, you draw a line to champion team. At one level, at the group end or the team of champions, you're more independent. Okay, so it's about decision making can occur independently. You don't really need anybody else in the team to help you get your work done. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a high level of independence. When you're in a champion team and what we're calling a real team, you actually do need each other to get the goal achieved or to get the deliverable done. And the example that I used at um, conference, probably a little bit unusual, was the Rolling Stones and a band. I use the Rolling Stones because you know, even after 55 years, they're still touring. It's incredible, actually, if you think <laughs> it's about amazing. it. It's right? amazing. I mean, it's one you look past as a team, but they are absolutely a team. Totally. And I I was trying to remember if there's any other band that can claim that, and I'm not sure that there is. Even the Beatles, you know, I can't think of another band that's been together as long for- Not for, as that long. Yeah, no. successfully. So what I- I like about that as an analogy to understand the difference between group and team is if you think about the Rolling Stones, each one of them has got a specific skill Mm. and complementary skills in a specific role. Right. They don't try and play in each other's spaces, but it's the blend of how they come together. Right. It's a good example because you've got these individuals, each with a different skill, but the chemistry is actually in the band. Yes, they okay. are the Rolling Stones. They are the roll. They're not a Rolling Stone. They're yeah, a right. Rolling Stones. They're not a collection you know. of stones. That's right. They're not <laughs> a collection. The Rolling Stones. And what's interesting is that over that fifty-five year period, various members have gone off and done their own thing. Mick Jagger had solo career, and I think Richards did as well. But they were nowhere near as successful mm. as the whole band. Mm. And I think that this speaks to the idea of a real team needs all the members in order to achieve the common purpose or the common goal. Right, and they almost lift the performance of each other. Correct. They're better together. That's my definition of a team. You're better together because there's a synergy that gets achieved that's over and above what any one person could do on their own. Now, that's not to say that you can't get that synergy in a group, but it's probably going to be moments of collaborating versus a team where my individual objectives feed the objectives of the collective Mm. and the collective's objectives 
impact on my ability to do my job. Mm. Okay. So you don't always get that symbiosis in a group. Right. Okay? You might get a few so people. maybe in a crisis, but not yeah. the rest of the time. Yep. And, and I don't know that you need it. I think, you know, I, I really, I'm sort of probably a bit of a fanatic about team. So I'm really strong advocate for team. But at the same time, I don't know that every, you know, every group has to be a team. I think that it's totally valid to have a team of champions that largely work independently, but every now and then come together to collaborate on a specific project. Yeah, right. I think in the chase to be a high-performing team, we've just lumped everybody in the same. Right. Everyone's got to be a team. Yeah. They've all got to be yeah. high-performing teams. Yeah. Whereas I think that in some of the groups that I've worked with, where they've clearly been a group, mm. and the way that the leader has come to us is to say that they want a cohesive team and their team's not working very well, they're... You know, they're not uh, sharing responsibility well. And, you know, part of the reason that is and is because the work that they're doing actually doesn't require them to share responsibility. Mm. And so what happens is if you don't get the work, the nature of the work correct, sometimes that puts pressure on the dynamics within the team. And then you get this whole cascading effect where people don't feel like they can trust each other. You get egos mm. going a bit wild. So, so I it's think the right work for the right, or the right tool for the right work. Or correct. Something. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. So if we talk about, you know, you talked about some teams are high performing. In the white paper, you go over some hallmarks of what marks an effective team. So I'd love to just get your insights and thoughts around what yeah. those hallmarks are. So in the white paper, you talked about. The first hallmark of an effective team is self-awareness. Yeah. So people are clear on who they are, what motivates us, and, and how we show up in the group. Yeah. What do you mean by that, Corinne? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the old cliches is that there is no I in team, and mm. clearly there is, because you've got individuals that make up the team. I don't think it's a helpful saying. I can understand what they're trying to say is that everybody pulls together to deliver a common goal. Right. Well, you've got to – it's about – I guess, putting the team's needs above your, above your own. Mind. But I think that I like to reframe it and say that it's an individual choosing to align their needs with the team. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it requires that you prioritise the team needs above your own, but more often it's about if you get across the line, then I get across the line too. Mm. Okay, So it's about being linked in that way. So I think one of the things that we don't look at enough in the team area is this idea of how an individual shows up in a team. And so I think self-awareness around is fundamentally important and fundamentally important in our model because what is important to me, what I value, what motivates me is going to flow through my behavior in the mm -hmm. team. Mm -hmm. If I value status, if I value and motivated by power or, you know, then that's going to show up in how I relate to people in the team. Right. If I value individual achievement over team achievement, that will also play out in the team. Mm. So I found in, in the review of research that I've done that 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 idea that somebody's individual mindset is an important part of looking at team mm. effectiveness. I haven't seen it very often in the literature, but I think fundamentally, if you you can't get that 
uh, mindset clarity and alignment between the individuals, then it's going to be harder to go from me to we. Mm. That's why I think self-awareness about who I am, what's important to me, what do I bring to the team, who you are, right? what do you value, what's important to the team. And understanding that. Yeah, so I think that's a really fundamental building block that we need to have a conversation around that and align that as a part of trust building as Mm. well in order to set the team up for success. Yeah, I love it. And I love it. It's a little bit of a controversial one, the the iron team. I know. But I think it's absolutely right. You're you're an individual at the end of the day, but it's about how you show up. It's about how you use that, what motivates you. Yeah, and I think it's about the willingness and the choice to you're making a a choice to join in. Yeah, You know, And very often when we have behavioral issues in a team, it's because an individual is not Happy. Choosing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. not happy about it, not choosing, feeling forced to. So you know that's a, a big problem there. Yeah, love it. The second hallmark you talk about in the white paper is social sensitivity. Mm. So it's around our consciousness of others and our relationship with them. Yeah. What What do you mean by that one, Corinne? Well, there was some research done on what collective intelligence is and what characterizes a high performing team, and. Um, I guess the three things were a bit surprising because they weren't about personality, they weren't about intelligence, actually. Mm. They were about turn-taking right? and social sensitivity. And the other one was, you know, the number of women that you had in a team, which was pretty controversial at the time. But I think if we look at turn-taking and social sensitivity, and then I'll talk about the role of women and, and why that may have come up. So what they found was that with if there's distributed turn-taking, it means that everybody is participating and everybody is owning their role and also being part of the we. Mm. So that was important because it was an indicator of people not taking over. There was a, a, a good distribution of taking turns. Social sensitivity is the idea that I am present in myself and, and with you. And so I'm able to read the cues that I'm getting from my team members Mm. and able to adapt my behavior in relation to that. Mm. So the more aware that I am about myself, the more aware I am about you, the more sensitive I can be to social cues and how to adapt to that when they come up. So if I see you, you know, sit back, then I might think, oh, okay, I wonder what's happened. Does right. Dom feel like he's not been included? He's checking out. Yeah. And then I can ask you a question about that right. or I could bring you back bring into you the in. conversation. And so what they found in this research was that people who were had high levels of social sensitivity, it ends up acting like a shortcut because you're not having to name everything. You're responding in the moment. And so it's kind of like merging action into awareness Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it becomes seamless. And the reason I think at the time the research by um, Woolley et al. identified women was because they were thinking that women probably had greater facility in social sensitivity, partly because of conditioning and how we'd been, you know, how we'd been brought up in our background. Mm -hmm. But social sensitivity, I think, is really important because. You've got the self-awareness and the mindset, and then it's really a peer-to-peer relationship that happens in team. So the more aware you are and, and conscious of 
what's important to others, the more aware you are of, of cues in the conversation, the more effective you can be. So it's kind of actually continuing the self-awareness, but, but it's about being self-aware of how other people are receiving you and Correct. reacting to you or, or being aware of how they're yeah. traveling. And, you know, vice versa. So it's about the interaction, what happens, literally interaction. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Yeah. And then I guess building on that, which mm. is, you know, around awareness of how people are receiving us, the next hallmark you had was around leaders' impact. Yeah. Which I guess is the person with the most <laughs> influence on yeah. on the team. And it was about how the leader shapes the behavior of the team. Yeah. Tell me more about that. One of the things that I've observed is that team members will often shape their behavior around the behavior of the leader. Mm-hmm. So what a leader pays attention to, doesn't pay attention to, what they emphasize, what they reinforce, who they pay attention to, Mm. who they bring in on a conversation, how they delegate the work, what they believe the team is there to do, the standards that they're requiring the team to achieve are all integral Mm. to how the team performs. And so I think the leader has to be really clear about A, What work needs to be done? B, is a team needed to do that work? Uh Three, what are their expectations of the team as a whole and individual team members? How much involvement are they going to give the team in terms of setting Uh that purpose? And, Uh you know, and sometimes I think it's the leader will have a really clear view about the purpose and how it fits in with strategy. If that's the case, it's much better for the leader to share that view and vision with the team and to get their buy-in and to to help them understand why it is than it is to pretend that the purpose can be developed by everyone. Yes. So I think think team members will understand that there might be a reason why the leader wants to hold on to that purpose. And and I think that's okay because people sit at different levels in the organisation and you know, in theory, the higher you are, the more strategic yep. your view should be. And the closer to the front line, the more tactical. And it's, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. That's just I don't think so. The I think reality. that can be part of leadership. But I think what a leader needs to do is to be very clear mm. about what they see as being their call mm. and what they're happy to delegate or invite the team to make a decision around. Because mm. even if you've got a team, a leader who wants to be very people and participative-centred, the authority of the team to problem-solve and make decisions on that particular issue come from the leader. Yes. The leader has the authority within the organisation to do it. So it's down to the leader to decide how much involvement. Now, obviously, we would be advocating a fair degree of involvement, Mm. and I think that that involvement can happen by understanding a vision that the leader wants to set. Right. So you know where you're operating. Correct. It doesn't have to be me setting the vision. So I think those kind of decisions a leader needs to be clear about before they start to bring the team together. Mm -hmm. Okay, what do I see as being the work? What needs to be delivered? At what standard does it need to be delivered? Who do I need to do this? Does it need to be a team? What's the decision-making process? Who owns what? Because if the leader is not clear, like it is as ineffective to have a leader who's command and control and wants to be 
micromanaging everything, mm-hmm. okay, because then they don't need a team, do they? They're doing no. everything. They're playing every position on the field. Why right. do they need a team? You know, so that is just as ineffective as having a leader who's unclear, completely vague, hands off. Yeah. completely hands-off, doesn't really have a, a ready answer, and not because they're coaching but because they're abdicating responsibility. Right. They're both ineffective ways of leading teams. Mm. So in the paper, I, I think that what's really important is a leader's clear about these kinds of messages, their expectations, the standards that they're looking to deliver, the kind of values that they want the team and behaviour that they're wanting the team to aspire to. But mm-hmm. values and behaviour is something that you can bring the team on involved in. I think it's really important for leaders to be able to talk about what good looks like, mm. you know, and I think that if the leader can't determine what good looks like, then no it's going to be, yeah, no one can. It's hard. Or the individuals in the team, the team might be able to, but the leader's got to be open to that feedback. So I think there are certain things that I think leaders need to be clear about. And then from a behavioral point of view, to get the best out of the team, a leader needs to be open to feedback. They need to promote collaboration as a way of actually get things done. They need to give permission for people to have a different view and to challenge the status quo, to challenge them. Mm. And they need to be focused on process as well as the outcome. So it's the what as well as the how. Mm. And be prepared to make a decision and step up when it appears that it's required. So not delegate everything to the team. Yes. People just need role clarity. Yeah. And then that goes a long way to providing, I guess, some common language. Yeah. So it's it's getting that balance right and so on as well. And it's it's the leader that has to encourage the right behaviours that for the team to adopt. Yeah. Basically. And they do that because everyone's looking at the leader. Yeah. In any any situation, any room. So it's about sending those messages that are yeah, and, and creating see. the leader's job is to create a climate where right. the team members can be at their best. Yeah, and I think that things like values and and behaviours, it's great to have the whole team involved in developing that. But you know, the leader just needs to be clear what they feel the team can own as a decision or problem solving issues, and what it is that they would reserve the right to make the final say on. Love it. And so that kind of actually blends into the next one a bit, the next hallmark of of an effective team, which was around purpose and direction. Yeah. So we actually touched on that a bit, that, you know, the leader has to set that purpose and that direction for the team. Mm. And they could include others in that. Yeah. But if they're clear on it, then that's okay too, but they need to Rather than pretending to include yeah. people, yeah, <laughs> just and be I think clear on it. correct, and I, I make that distinction. So I think it's you know whether you you are clear on it and you'd like to explain to the why to your team, or the other alternative is the whole team gets involved in defining the purpose, mm. and that can that's really useful as well. And I I do that with a lot of teams. What I if I clarify the whole purpose, and you picked up on it. What is not useful or effective and can be damaging in a team is when the leader says that they're inviting the team to come up with their own purpose, but actually has a strong view about what it ought to be. 
I've, I've seen that kind of thing where it's like you just finish the session. It's like, okay, well, here's the one I prepared earlier. Correct. You know, it's like, well, what, yes, what totally. were we just talking about for the last half hour? You've already made the presentation. Yes, and I've had leaders through a workshop where they have engaged us to help the team come up with a purpose. Oh. You know, through the workshop, even though through all the preparation, be so attached to their purpose that it keeps coming up. And so I just think, you know what, if you're that attached to it, you're better to present present it and explain right. than to invite, right. you know, the whole team to participate. And that's the same with anything. I think, you know, companies always do that when it's like, let's get people involved in, you know, their ideas on this. But then they don't do anything with them. And Correct. It's, it's always if, if you ask people for their ideas, then you need to do something with them. Yeah, and you've got to listen to them. And you've got to listen to them. Otherwise, the message people actually hear as well. It's not important. They didn't actually care. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. So the, the next one was around, and I think we actually talked about this at the start, was right team, right roles, right level. So that was a bit about the, the group versus team and what work is better suited for what. Yeah. And the it's about getting the the people who have got the right skill base and the right yeah. mix of skills in order to be able to perform that role well in a team doesn't work unless everybody's able to carry their own weight. Yes. You need confidence in your you team. You need confidence and you need to believe that they're going to be able to deliver their part. So it's the recruiting is really important. Mm. I also think for executive teams, you've got to work at the right level and what I mean by that is you've got to decide what optimal performance for an executive team looks like in your business. I see a lot of executives do what I call swooping. Mm. So whenever there's uncertainty or maybe as a behavioral preference, they drop down into the detail and the next level down. And the problem with that is, is you're kind of doing their job mm. and you're not doing the job that you need to do, which is managing the collective, the enterprise, mm. or the external boundary into the enterprise. So I think the executive need to align around what their level is because if you drop down into the detail of the next level operationally too often, then you end up micromanaging and you don't build capability at the next level. But the other mm. thing that happens is the next level then drops down another level and then you don't get the leadership strength that you need. So I talk about mission critical. I don't believe in a world where executives just have to be strategic. I think that sometimes they have to go into the operational execution side of the business, but I think they need to be clear about what's mission critical. Mm. And if you talk about mission critical, then it, it, it could be a strategic issue or it could be operational, but it can't be everything. Right. And so I think that's a useful distinction to decide what level's the best level. Yeah, I like it. So the, the sixth hallmark of the constructive team is around cohesion and constructive norms and behaviours. So it's about yeah. how we work together as a team. Yeah. And um, that's when we start talking about the circumplex. So cohesion, constructive norms. So ultimately, one of the fundamental elements that run through all of this is the need for trust If you and dropping ego. You mm. know, they're, mm. they're related. And I'm, well, I'm, I don't think it's dropping ego. I think it's blending egos. It's the ability to have a healthy sense of I, mm. but to understand how to work with, share responsibility and, and collaborate. and fail together. Yeah. yeah. So I think to help build that trust capital, team needs to agree its values and behaviours. 
And obviously in our model, constructive behaviours get the best out of teams. Yeah. And so when you've got a constructive climate in a team, people, it emphasises we, you know, which is why this is called we work, mm. uh, working on we. And so what you've got with the constructive styles is the emphasis on sharing responsibility, collaborating in order to get a result, alignment, discussion and debate and working together to and engaging with each other to get that. In a in more of a passive climate for a team, it emphasizes more about you. So I'm going to devalue what I think in order to, you know keep you happy. Keep you happy. And so I go into <laughs> approval and I'm not gonna challenge you just in case it upsets you. And even right. though I disagree with you, I'm not gonna have that uncomfortable conversation now. It's prioritizing harmony over effectiveness. Yeah. Exactly. And then the aggressive defensive, where you've got a culture around a team that emphasizes aggressive culture, so competitive political behavior, it becomes about looking good and it's more about me. Right. And so, and you know, this is something we talked about, might talk about again, is that when you've got the emphasis on we, especially leaders, they want their team to look good you know, over and above anybody else. And so yeah. you start to get silos. And so, right. so this is like in the leadership team, the, the finance yeah. team or the sales yeah. team or something like yeah. that. Right. But in a team, if you've got people who are really pushing their own agenda, then you're constantly having to spend time looking at realigning and getting them on mm. board. And it just it's doesn't A lot of help. wasted energy. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and frustrating and, you know, the team start can start to fragment under both you know, passive defensive as well as aggressive defensive, whether you're green or, or you're red. So I think the constructive norms and behaviours are really around having a, a bit of a social contract and agreement with the team members about how we're going to engage with, with each other, what behaviours will get the best out of us. And it's not just within when we're talking to each other, when we're in a team meeting, it's what are the kind of behaviours we're going to demonstrate when we're outside, yeah, to the business about how we operate. Yeah, I like it. And so if that's kind of the behavioural side of it or the values side of it, the next hallmark was around effective practices and ways of working. Yeah. Um, so our roles in the team. Mm. The ways of working were the means that bring the team together. So the meetings, you know, what kind of meetings do we have? How often so do we meet? It's like them? protocols and stuff. Yeah, protocols. It's around our operating rhythm, mm. you know, so how often does the leader meet with each of us individually? How often do we meet as a team? What's our decision-making process? How mm. do we problem solve? What do we problem solve together? Mm. And what will we, you know, trust each other to take care of independently? When one of our team isn't doing that well, how do we help them? So these are, if you like, protocols and structures, if I can call it that, as a way of that really speaks to the day-to-day and week-by-week kind of operation of the team. And the example I gave at the conference was that Rolling Stones, before they tour, they get together every day and practice two months. Two months before the tour happens, they, they practice every day. So that's a way of working. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure some bands would do that, other bands not at all. Amazing after you've been doing it that long. I know. That you, they still practice that much. With, you, know? you know, with the kind of, you know, the discography wouldn't have changed. The songs well, you, wouldn't have you changed think they that could much. Just, yeah. yeah, you think they could just walk in and, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. deliver. 
but it's the the discipline. So yeah, it's the discipline. protocols and the discipline, it's really about being really clear, communication, problem solving, decision making, you know, what do we solve together and what is okay to be taken as a decision separately. So that's that independence, interdependence mm, um, mm. spectrum. And again, it's back to that balance, yeah, right? Because, yeah. you know, not everything needs a group decision mm. and problem solving. Exactly. You know, sometimes it's a finance issue and whoever's in charge of finance is the person who can make that decision. Exactly. And I think that it's not about an effective team doesn't make all decisions together. They just know the the rules, you know, they know that when it involves the whole organisation or across it's, departments it's, it's a budget stuff. ask outside of right. what I've had approved, they know that that becomes a an discussion. issue, yeah. a discussion with the whole team. Yeah. But if I am wanting to change a role within my team, I probably don't need to discuss that mm. with you. Mm. I could probably mm. make that. So it's that balance about between trusting my colleagues on a certain set of decisions that are theirs to own mm. and also trusting that my colleagues will bring to the table the decisions that need to be collectively decided. Yeah, nice. All right, and then the final hallmark mm. was really around the context that the team find themselves in. So it's about the organisational culture yeah. and how that actually impacts the, the operating context for the team. Yeah, it's really interesting because there's only one piece of research that I can think of that really speaks to the context in which a team operates. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, I find it really surprising because the team's not an island. It exists within a system. Mm -hmm. And so the culture of the organisation, the systems and the processes, the accountabilities in an organisation, the purpose of the organisation, all of it is going to determine how the team works. So in that section we try and identify some of the factors that are context-related. For example, mm. how an organisation is going to measure the effectiveness of a team. Um, that sends a message about how they're supposed to It sends behave. a message about how they you know, to what extent does the organisation incentivise, recognise and reward team achievement versus individual. Mm-hmm. It's also a big message around What's how important? a team... Correct, correct. Things like communication channels, the protocols within the broader business affect how the team operate. So I think, to me, there were three levels. So the team is where individuals meet organisation and it shows up in the conversation that the team has. And so I think you need to consider the individual, how an individual shapes the team and the team shapes the individual. But both of those shape the organisation vice versa. So sometimes I've worked with teams where their issue has not so much been the dynamics within the team, but it's been trying to operate within an organisation that wants them to operate differently. Yeah, right. Actually, that'd be another great topic maybe for another day is, you know, how to stay constructive when you're in a defensive context, maybe. I think that's a great topic. So maybe we'll pick up on that in another episode. Love your points on this episode, though, Corinne. So... I just kind of run over those hallmarks again. So the hallmarks of an effective team around self-awareness, who we are, how we show up, social sensitivity. So it's really understanding our relationship with others and what's going on for them. Leaders impact. So what are the messages the leader's sending about how people should behave in the team? Purpose and direction, why our team exists. Right team, right roles, right level. So 
is it work that's suited for a team or is it work that's suited for a group and knowing the difference between those. Yeah. Cohesion and constructive norms and behaviours, that's the circumplex stuff. So how do we behave together? How do we show up? Then it was around those operating protocols, so yep. effective practices and ways of working. Yeah. And finally, the, the organisational context. What's the culture that we actually find ourselves in in a team? Yep, perfect. And Well, thanks for your time today, Corinne. Pleasure. All those um, hallmarks are in the white paper you've written. Yep. And so that will be available on the, the page for this podcast. So if you look in your show notes, there'll be a link to that. There'll also be a uh, link to Corinne's presentation from the conference. So you can watch the video there if you're interested. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. Thanks for being part of our amazing community. We can only do it together with yourself. So long for now. Thank you.